Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Every week we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand in hand with baking for those we love. And speaking of those we love, did that 10-minute tiramisu impress our loved ones on Valentine's Day? We'll find out. This week in our bake-along, we tackle that classic, rich and creamy Italian dessert, a panna cotta, and find out if this restaurant classic is easily recreated in our home kitchens. Finally, we'll see if Andrea's ready to join me in the brave new world of online grocery shopping when Brick meets Click. So put the kettle on and get ready for some sweet talk. Stefan, listener Jesse in our Facebook listeners group had a post recently about an upcoming holiday that I think our listeners may be interested in. Is it in about two weeks' time? It's in about two weeks' time. <laughs> it may not be a holiday on everyone's mind, but for us here in the preheated universe, <laughs> it's a kind of holiday we like. Yes, we're talking about National Muffin Day. You bet we are. <laughs> Falling on Sunday, March 1st this year. This is a movement slash holiday formed out of San Francisco. The idea being to bake muffins and hand them out to those people less fortunate in your community. Mm, I'll post a link and people can go and join. And I believe you're called a muffinteer once you pledge to participate. So that's pretty fun. (laughs) That's awesome. Then it's wherever you are located, you can hand out your baked goods. I'm not sure if that has translated across to the UK because when I did a search for National Muffin Day here, it was coming up in February still. So it may be just a different designation. But if there is a similar event in the UK, I will post to our Facebook group as well. Yeah, we love using our baking to make our communities a better place. So Jesse, thanks for sharing that. Other listeners, feel free to let us know if you participate, post some photos, and please do let us know about events in your community where your baked goods might be used to help other people. And you know, Andrea, it's so funny that we were talking about National Muffin Day, and I just had a hot tip. Speaking of muffins, (laughs) (laughs) I recently made some oatmeal chocolate chip muffins, and I had a realization that, you know, when you do something for so long and you kind of don't even think about doing it in a new way. Oh, yeah. But then you do, and it, like, changes your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So – In the past, when I had a batch of batter that could fill, say, 12 and then two more. Okay. Right? So it was making, like, more than my pan would fit, but just a few more, right? Right. I would fill the muffin tin and then put it in the oven, and then I would fill the next tin and get it ready, and then I'd be left with these little, like, scraps of batter that weren't enough to make a full muffin. Yeah. Yeah. Divide all your batter before putting your pans in the oven. Simple. (laughs) Brilliant. Wait, 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 wait a minute. What? So you're now filling your 12 muffin cups, but you're just filling each one a little bit more full? Exactly. Because if you get to the end of the bowl and you don't have enough for a full muffin, it's too late because your pan's already in the oven. Oh, I see. Where you could have just like topped up the muffin, one of the muffin tins, or split that evenly among the pan you had already filled. This is not a complicated thing, and I am making it so complicated. 
<laughs> I I think the reason I was hesitating is because that's how I do it now anyway. Yes. See, exactly. So it never would have occurred to me to haul out a second muffin tin. Exactly. No. And I I have just been like, boom, full into the oven. Like, here comes the next one, like an assembly line. Whereas if I would have just stopped, filled them, then said, oh, you know, I've just got a little dab more here, then you wouldn't have this. I'm like looking for my mini pan. I'm like, what should I do with this tiny little scoop of batter left? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pretty brilliant. I've only been baking for 30 plus years. So. I'm always suspicious of those articles and posts that say, you know, this recipe will change your life or this tip has completely revolutionized my muffin baking. But mm-hmm. it does sound like this one might fall into that category for you. So congratulations. <laughs> I'm figuring it out. Thank you. Thank hey. you. I've changed my muffin baking life. So, you know, use that tip, listeners, on Muffin Day or whenever. You're welcome. Learning and laughs. That's what we're here for. <laughs> Well, speaking of learning, Andrea, this is one of our book club months, and this month we are reading Risotto with Nettles by Anna Del Conti. We will be reviewing and chatting about that in the last episode of the month, which is actually coming up very quickly next week on February 24th, I guess that is, and that is episode 165. So if you haven't had a chance, grab a copy. It's an easy and quick read, and join us then at the last episode of the month. Yes, definitely. I can't wait to hear what people think, and I can't wait to tell you what I thought about this book. Yeah, no kidding. Stefan, you know I am a sucker for recipes that promise fewer ingredients. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love a website called The Minimalist Baker. Her recipes are almost always 10 ingredients or less. And then last December, we talked about five-minute desserts, and many of those items had, you know, five ingredients or less. Hmm. Yeah. You did a quick bite episode one summer where you tackled recipes with three ingredients or less. That's right. Yes, last summer. I am here to tell you, I have now discovered a recipe that has one ingredient. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of revolutionary, lay it on me. How is this even possible? So this came through my New York Times newsletter feed, and it is one of Melissa Clark's recipe. Now, I know Melissa Clark because she has a great Instant Pot cookbook. Oh, okay. When I saw this one-ingredient chocolate mousse, I knew I had to check it out. Sure enough, the recipe is just chocolate and water. So, of course, water doesn't count. Okay. I think I would probably put a little dash of salt in it as well. Okay, okay. But the interesting thing about it is I, all my life, have thought, oh my gosh, if you ever put water into chocolate, it will seize. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, and I think we've even cautioned against that on the show. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yet this recipe is uh, completely the opposite. You know, it's melt the chocolate and mix in the water and make this incredible mousse. I'll post a link to it in the show notes. I just thought it was really fun to see how far down the scale of ingredients we could get and I think this one ingredient recipe definitely wins the contest on that. Yeah, so far it definitely does. I mean, I'm really fascinated when I think about a mousse, I think kind of light and fluffy, and I'm wondering how she achieves that texture with just those two ingredients. So I'll be taking a look. Yeah, I haven't made it myself yet, but from the photos, it looks light and fluffy, and I'd be interested if any of our listeners have tried it. I just ran across it, but it looks like it's been posted online for a couple of years. So someone else might have already attempted it and can tell us how it turned out. Cool. Well, speaking of a few more ingredients than one, <laughs> but not many. Not many. Very frankly, was our 10-minute tiramisu from Gemma Stafford. We did this as our bake-along. 
And you might remember that Andrea was really pumped up about Gemma's cookbook, which came out last fall. And I believe that's where this recipe is from. Yes, Bigger Boulder Baking. Bigger Boulder Baking. Mm-hmm. And Andrea, you did the standard version, a classic, and I did the chocolate variation. So they were a little bit different as far as ingredients and possibly method. So why don't you kick us off and talk about that classic tiramisu? All right. Well, my ingredients in the classic were a cup of heavy whipping cream, a cup of mascarpone cheese, which I purchased at the grocery store, although she does have instructions on how to make your own if you'd like to do that, a third a cup of sugar, a teaspoon of vanilla extract, a tablespoon of either brandy or amaretto. I had amaretto, so that's what I used. Yum. Two cups of espresso or strong coffee at room temperature. Oh, okay. Put a pin in that. I just realized something <laughs> that will uh, explain a problem I had when I came to the preparation steps. <laughs> okay. And finally, one pack of lady fingers. Again, I purchased these at the grocery store. But she does have instructions on how to make your own. She also includes an eggless version if you'd like to do that. And cocoa powder for dusting on the top. How about you, Stefan? How were your ingredients different from what I just listed out? Well, they were really similar. With the addition of half a cup of bittersweet chocolate, roughly chopped, I have one additional cup of heavy whipping cream. So where you had one, I have two. I also have the coffee, two cups at room temperature, and then I have the ladyfingers, a cocoa powder for garnish. That's all the same as you. Although I do notice that in your recipe, it just says one pack of ladyfingers. Mine specifically calls for 30. Do you know how many you might have used? Oh, shoot. I didn't count them. Um, And in fact, I didn't use the full pack. So... Mine was more than 30 also. And we noticed last week that my recipe, the easy 10-minute tiramisu, said six servings, whereas yours, the chocolate variation, said 10 servings. Yep. So maybe it's that extra heavy whipping cream and the extra lady fingers that caused the increase in serving size on yours. What do you think? Plus the chocolate. Yeah. I think I just oh, had well, more to go. work with here. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. But once... We have those ingredients. I think the the biggest difference in the preparation for me is that I'm melting the chocolate and then where we are both kind of beating the sugar and vanilla and mascarpone and the cream, I'm just adding my chocolate also. Okay. So I've got one kind of plain cheese and cream and then one that has a bit of chocolate in it. I gotcha. Yeah. In step two, I do want to give listeners a caution if they haven't made this yet and they'd like to. Step one is to beat the whipping cream, sugar, and vanilla until soft peaks. Yeah. And then step two is to add in the mascarpone cheese and the amaretto and whip to stiff peaks. I have to tell you that that happens really fast. And now I wish I had watched it more closely because I believe I let mine get a little too thick. Well, I'm so glad you brought this up because I had exactly the same situation over here. In fact, I just noted, very fast, watch out. Yes. It does happen very fast, and I had some texture issues down the road that maybe sound like something you encountered as well. Yeah, and I didn't have any texture issues in the final product, but I just felt like when I was spreading that whipped cream mixture, it Mm. could have been looser. I don't know why I feel that Mm -hmm. way. I just feel like it could have been that way. I 100% agree. Yes. Yeah, that happened really fast. And she even says, you know, continue to whip to stiff peaks. I don't know. Something about that just makes it seem like that's going to be a bit of a process. And it was, I don't know, 10 seconds or something. It was very, very quick. Now, step three is where I ran into the problem. And I was going to ask you what I did wrong here, but reading the ingredients out loud made me immediately (laughs) realize what I did wrong. Okay. Step three is where you dip your lady fingers in the coffee. It also says, and brandy if using. 
I didn't have brandy, so I did pour a little bit of amaretto in my coffee as well. So yeah, I have okay. amaretto in my cream mixture as well as in my coffee mixture because why not? Why not? It says you can place it in an 8 by 8 pan to make the first layer. Mm-hmm. You can fit about seven cookies in each layer. Now, I don't know what her ladyfingers look like. I had way more than seven in each layer. And mine is made in a 7 by 12. I don't have a 7 by 12. I have a 7 by 11, and that's what I used. And I note that I had 20 on each layer. So I actually ended up using more ladyfingers than were called for. Okay. It just covered the bottom of my pan really nicely, so I thought that was was wise and, and also just looked nice too. It's this final sentence in step three that got me. It says, don't let them soak Mm -hmm. as they will fall apart. Just a quick dunk in the coffee is enough. Yeah. So I read that and I thought, okay, I won't let them soak. Right. But I could not even get these lady fingers into the coffee before they immediately fell apart. I mean, they were just crumbling. I was having to use a, a fork to pull them out. Oh, no. It wasn't until just now when I read out loud the ingredients and I realized the coffee was supposed to be at room temperature. Uh-huh. It was hot. Oh, it was oh. hot. I have an espresso machine and I brewed, you know, an espresso on my uh, espresso machine yeah. is a small amount. Yeah. So I had to brew quite a few shots of espresso. So I had this hot container of coffee. Oh, my gosh. I got to the point where I figured out this really crazy system where I was dipping them just for almost a second and it was nuts and now I'm realizing next time I just need to let it cool to room temp. Yes I used an instant espresso powder and then just let that cool down and it was not a problem. A quick dunk. In fact I probably was a little hasty with pulling them out because I was also worried they could have probably soaked up a little bit more coffee and been okay. I also know that my lady fingers were incredibly fresh. Mm-hmm. I first looked for them on the regular cookie aisle in the grocery store and I couldn't find them. And I asked someone and she sent me over to the bakery and the baker came out and he said, can I help you? And I said, I was looking for some lady fingers. He said, oh, wait, I just pulled a batch out of the oven. Let me go wrap those up for you. So Ugh. I got the freshest of the fresh lady fingers. And I think when you're soaking things, it's often better if maybe you have things that are a little bit stale because they can stand up to that soak a bit better. So that's true. My story is about quantity on ladyfingers. I bought them in a package. They were a prepackaged cookie. We're going to be talking about online shopping a little bit later in the program, but here's a problem. 30 ladyfingers. I'm looking online at the packaging. I can't tell how many are in the package. Oh, interesting. You know how you have extra almond paste now? Yes. I have about a hundred ladyfingers now. <laughs> because ultimately I just I had to do it. I had to get my order in and I just thought, okay, I'm just gonna buy three boxes of these. Oh, that's so funny. You know, I just need to over over prepare because I can't tell how many are in this package. And sure enough, I've got roughly a hundred extra ladyfingers. So we're gonna have to come up with some kind of some kind of fixture for that. Well, luckily you live in London. I feel like the ladyfinger would just be the perfect afternoon tea time biscuit. That would be good, yeah. (laughs) The other thing that I did to help my ladyfingers from falling apart, I didn't count how many were in the package, but I know I only bought one package. And of course, they're all hooked together, sewn together, uh, baked together. I don't know how to describe it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Instead of taking them off one by one, which is what I started doing initially and doing the dunking, I started taking them out in sets of three. Okay. And I also thought that would work better in terms of slicing. I thought 
the size of three lady fingers was about the size of a serving oh, yeah. that I thought would be good. I think that's really smart. Yes. Yeah. Once you've dunked your lady fingers, you uh, spread those in the bottom layer of your pan, and then you spread half of that whipped cream mixture on top of the first layer of the lady fingers. Then you put in a second layer of your soaked lady fingers, and then you put in a final layer of that cream mixture. Step five is just to dust the top of the dessert with some cocoa powder using a sieve and then refrigerate for about two to four hours. Now, here's my favorite comment on this whole recipe. It gets even better in the fridge and is a perfect make-ahead dessert. In my household, I was able to make this on a Wednesday morning, and it sat in my fridge all day Wednesday, all day Thursday. We didn't even eat it until Friday night, and I can tell you, five-star, incredible, delicious, everyone loved it. I was really worried that those ladyfingers would be too wet and oversoaked, and I can tell you right now, they stood the test of time in those two and a half to three days. They were still just absolutely delicious, and the layers were distinct and separate, and oh, I just can't say enough good about this recipe. I was so pleased with it. How about you, Stefan? Well, Andrea, as you know, as we talked about when we introed this recipe, I am not the world's biggest tiramisu fan. Yeah. I'm here to tell you that I loved this 10-minute chocolate tiramisu variation. Oh, yay! And in fact, it might be my kids' favorite thing we've ever made in three and a half seasons. Yes, I had that same experience here at my house. Both my husband, my kid, myself, I, we just kept going back and eating another slice, another little piece. It was so good. It was so good. And the other layering issue in mine is that one of my layers has the chocolate. One is the plain cream mascarpone. So that's kind of the only additional layering. And now remember that mine is in a 7 by 11. I dusted the top with cocoa powder as well. Mine says refrigerate four to six hours. That's a little bit longer. But like you, I made this in the morning, set it aside, and then we had it probably more like eight hours later. It was cool and creamy and chocolatey. Mm. My coffee didn't come through, obviously, but that's okay with me. I'm not a huge coffee person. Yeah, that's what you were after. That was fine. Yeah. I think the biscuits had soaked it up for some moisture, but Mm -hmm. I didn't get a strong coffee, coffee taste. Yeah. A little bit of a quibble on the texture. I think because maybe we talked about that cream coming to Stiff Peaks really, really quickly, I think maybe the UK cream is a little heavier also. Mm. It was just a little thick, and I think I would next time go a little thinner, looser. That's the word you used, and that's exactly, just to try it. Because honestly, otherwise, this was the Valentine that kept on giving. Yes. (laughs) Seven by 11 inch pan of this stuff. I felt like we were eating it for the, I don't know, just, do we have any more tiramisu? Yes, we do have more tiramisu. (laughs) Oh, is there any more tiramisu? Yes, there is. It just kept going, and we all loved it. I love a make-ahead. I am so thrilled with this dessert. It's a TNT for me. So thank you so much for reinvigorating my love of the tiramisu. Yeah, this was really a recipe that promised a lot and delivered. Yeah, that's true. I saw that listener Jocelyn in our Facebook group is looking for a dessert for a Mediterranean potluck a few days after Valentine's Day. And I think this one would be perfect. I mean, it is something that 
you can make a head, you can bring it, you can cut it into smaller slices. If you have more people, you can cut it into larger slices. If you have fewer people, yeah. I think the only thing that might cause it to be a little bit of a tricky thing at a potluck is I don't think you would want it sitting out at room temp. I would want to keep it refrigerated. But other than that, I think this would be a perfect potluck item. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. And I think it will be making a regular appearance throughout the year here. My kids are just absolute huge fans of it. So yay! Well, let's see what our listeners and our kids and our families think about this next dessert, and that is the panna cotta with fresh berries. Stefan, this recipe comes from Giada De Laurentiis. Mm-hmm. Am I saying that right? I think so. I think Giada so. De Laurentiis. Mm-hmm. She is not a new chef by any stretch of the imagination. You see her all over Food Network and other sort of TV shows and magazines. But we have never done a recipe from her before. So I wanted to tell you why I picked this particular recipe. Oh, yes. Last year in our 19 for 19, I made a resolution to make 10 new recipes from five new cookbooks. And one of the recipes that I made from salt, fat, acid, heat was a panna cotta. Okay. And it was a bit of a disappointment, which was surprising to me because everything else I've made in that cookbook has been fabulous. Oh. Both the flavor didn't really grab me and I had trouble getting the panna cotta unmolded. And, you know, when I go to a restaurant and I order panna cotta, it does always come out, you know, from a mold, right? Flipped upside down on Mm -hmm, your plate. mm -hmm. Yes. So my first goal was to find a recipe that didn't involve molding (laughs) because I thought, well, if that's difficult, then I'm just going to skip that step. Yeah. And sure enough, Giada had a recipe that you just put it into your glasses that you're going to serve it in and eat straight from there. So I really like that. Yes. The other thing I liked about her recipe is that it had 132 reviews and they were all five star. It is rare to get a recipe that you're not going to have at least one or two people say, you know, I had a problem with this or this didn't work. So I thought, wow, if it worked for over 130 people, it's got to work for us. So fingers crossed. I'm really hoping this will work out for us. So an interesting thing happens when I access this recipe. It immediately puts it into the Food Network UK site, which then translates everything to the UK measurements, which is amazing for me, but is going to make our recipes, when I'm talking about ingredients and measurements, I'm only seeing the UK ones. Interesting, huh? Like helpful. How fabulous and helpful. I know, indeed. (laughs) And of course, there is one ingredient here that is a bit of a stretch, and that is the packet of powdered gelatin, like a a Knox gelatin unflavored. You, my friend, were so kind in a recent package to just (laughs) send me an envelope of that. So I am all set. The rest of the ingredients, so delicious, so simple. Whole milk, the gelatin, whipping cream, honey, sugar, a pinch of salt, and then berries for the topping. And there is a video, at least on the U.S. Food Network version, of Giada making this. And I wanted to point our listeners to it because I watched it ahead of time, and it had a few tips related to making the recipe that aren't in the written version. Oh, yeah. In step one, when you place the milk in a small bowl and sprinkle the gelatin over it, in the video she mentions that the milk should be room temperature. Mm Mm-hmm. And her other tip that I thought was really great is when you're measuring out your third a cup of honey, she pulls up her cup measure and then she sprays it with cooking spray or baking spray before pouring the honey into it. Oh my gosh, I've done that for years. Uh, Yeah. You know, I have oiled uh, with maple syrup and some other things, but I don't always do it because then I've got the oil on my fingers and I don't want that oil flavor to translate. And so, yeah. And I thought, oh, this could be a really great tip. 
I think I'm going to try that, spraying my cup measure before I pour my honey into it. Just wanted to share those two tips for anyone who wants to watch the video before they attempt the recipe. I'm really excited. I love a panna cotta. I've never made it, although it's often one of those desserts that if I see it on a restaurant menu, I will just order it, even if I wasn't planning on getting dessert. Mm-hmm. Me too. Now, one thing is that fresh berries are not really in season here in the UK. So I do have some in the freezer. I might make a nice sauce or some kind of chunky melange with my <laughs> frozen berries. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, you could probably do mango. You could do rhubarb, kiwi, anything else that really strikes your fancy and might be more in season where you are right now. I agree. Something to just add a little bit of sugary color and flavor on top. Don't feel like you have to follow the fresh berries instruction. Go ahead and be creative. Well, we will have a link to all the recipes we've talked about today in the show notes for this episode, which is episode 164. That was the 10-minute tiramisu by Gemma Stafford, as well as today's bake-along, the panna cotta by Giada De Laurentiis, and that's on the Food Network website. We'll put those on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, as well as in our Facebook listeners group. Stefan, in most areas of the kitchen, I tend to be more techie-oriented while you love your old-fashioned methods. That's true. When it comes to recipes, I adore my print magazines, hardbound cookbooks, and my handwritten recipe cards. While I love my Kindle, the internet, and my AnyList app that stores all of my recipes. But there's one area where I've been hesitant to embrace new technology, and meanwhile, you've become an absolute expert. That's right. Online grocery shopping. Yes, and I can no longer ignore it. (laughs) One of my favorite newsletters I enjoy reading is from a website called Grocery Dive. That's where I've been reading a lot about online grocery shopping. So now I'm ready to explore this trend in today's segment, which we're calling Brick Meets Click. My most favorite mini segment title ever. You know, Andrea, I did a little online grocery shopping in Seattle, but it was more of a novelty. But since moving to London, I've had to convert almost completely. It's a way of life here, and I have to say, I love it. Stefan, is it just because you don't have a car, and so you don't want to board the tube schlepping a ton of grocery bags? I mean, that's a big part of it. It's impossible for me to do a weekly shop for four and haul it all back from the grocery store myself. My little cherry-covered cart can only hold so much. I do a big weekly shop that's delivered on Sunday mornings, then we supplement throughout the week by popping into the groceries that are sprinkled all around the neighborhood. What about you, Andrea? Have you tried online grocery shopping? I did when Amazon Fresh first rolled out in Seattle, just for a little while. It was when both my husband and I were working full-time, we had a small child, so I was looking for any way to save time. And what did you think? Well, it definitely was a time saver in terms of saving me a trip to the store. And it was kind of fun to wake up and have a stash of groceries just sitting on my front porch. (laughs) I always schedule my deliveries for 5 a.m. So I would just wake up and load the groceries into my house. And I have to admit that part of it was kind of exciting. Well, if that's your idea of fun, maybe you should get out more. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Although it did make me realize what my real idea of fun is, and that is going to the brick-and-mortar grocery store. Mm. I am one of those few people that absolutely loves to grocery shop. And keep in mind, I'm not a shopper in general. My love of shopping only extends to groceries. In fact, when I leave my house for the market, my family often says to me, up and down every aisle, because they know that's what I prefer to do. And so they're going to plan on me being gone for quite a while, even if I'm only going to pick up a few things. 
What about you? How do you feel about real-life grocery shopping the old-fashioned way? Well, we're very alike that way, my friend. I, too, love going to the store when I can take my time, browse the aisles, and be inspired. I can still definitely do that here in London, and it's been one of my very favorite ways to get to know my new home, but not during my weekly shop. One of the reasons I think I still like grocery shopping in person is that since I work for myself, I have a flexible schedule and I can time my trips. I find Tuesday mornings in my area are the best because the stores are restocked from the weekend, Mm. but most people are at work, so the aisles are pretty empty, at least until recently. Oh, really? What happened? Now, my local stores are absolutely packed with folks who are doing the shopping for the customers, who will either pick it up or have it delivered. According to Grocery Dive, Online shopping is projected to increase at 10 times the rate of in-store sales through the next five years. So realizing that I was pretty much the only one still doing my grocery shopping made me decide I should give online shopping another try. Okay, how'd it go? Let me back up and first explain what types of online grocery shopping I'm talking about. Pickup, delivery, or shipping. And I must admit, I haven't gone full bore yet. I've just started by dipping my toe in. Got it. Okay, well, let's hear about what you have done. The easiest has been online shopping for one-off items delivered directly to my house through the mail or a service like FedEx or UPS. I'm talking about ingredients like the cherry-flavored oil for the licorice we made back in episode 156 Mm -hmm. and the powdered cranberry that I needed for my Thanksgiving peanut butter pie with cranberry whipped cream. Those type of items are perfect for online shipping. And of course, don't forget the almond paste for the (laughs) pinoli cookies we talked about in episode 163. But unfortunately, the delivery truck couldn't get to my house because of the snow. So I still had to shop all over town for those anyway. So it sounds like you've mastered online grocery shopping for single items. I do that a lot too, especially for some of the more specialized ingredients, or here, for the more American items I need or want. But how about pickup or delivery for your regular groceries? Okay, I finally experimented with pickup, and I do really love it. It was pouring rain the first day I did pick up, and not getting out of the car was such a bonus. Avoiding bad weather with a sack full of groceries is another reason online delivery is such a delight in London. And many of the stores here, including Waitrose and Whole Foods, will also deliver items that I pick out in the store. That always feels so delightfully old-fashioned to me, like how grocery shopping in the 1950s used to be. Wait, what? You go into the store, you pick out everything you want, you go through the checkout line, but then they deliver it? Yeah. Usually there's a minimum purchase price, but you just take your bags to the designated area and arrange a delivery, which is usually within a short window of time that same day. As I'm saying this out loud, I don't exactly know why I've never tried it. So maybe it's an additional 20 for 20 for me. Wow, that sounds pretty amazing to me. Quite a few of my local stores offer pickup or click and collect, as some people call it. I've noticed more and more of the parking spaces at the front of the lot are designated for pickup, so it's another growing trend. Mm. And everything I've read says that for the time being, the digital crowd prefers this click-and-collect versus delivery because you can avoid delivery fees and still have some ownership in your shopping journey. It also gives you the opportunity to pop into the store for a last-minute purchase while you're picking up. I love click-and-collect, and I use it for lots of other types of online purchases here. I bet grocers and other retailers have an extra incentive with this method, as most impulse purchases happen in the store. I've read that Click & Collect is also cheaper for retail to operate, since consumers are the ones covering the last mile, which is the most expensive part of delivery. I found that what works best for me is to use pickup to supplement my regular grocery run. 
I have a route of three to four stores I usually visit, a regular grocery store where I get the brand name foods, my local co-op for all the fresh fruits and veggies, and then a combo grocer retailer where I can stock up on household items. Then I use pickup for those leftover items that for some reason I couldn't find in my regular grocery run or to fill in holes throughout the week. Alas, I have yet to try delivery from one of my local stores. I've spent some time on the grocer's app and thought about doing my entire shopping list, but I don't know, I just can't get into it. Mm, Why do you think that is? For me, what's truly missing with the online experience is that thrill of discovery. So for example, remember back in episode 159 when we discussed the 2020 food trends? Yes. And you mentioned something called butterfly pea flower tea, which I had never heard of. (laughs) Yes. Well, I was in my local co-op last week, and I rounded the aisle into the bulk section when out of the corner of my eye, I saw that phrase, butterfly pea flower tea, on a jar of these beautiful flowers, and I almost squealed out loud. (laughs) (laughs) Now, had I been shopping online, I never would have searched for butterfly pea flower tea, and I don't think I even would have been scrolling through all of the bulk natural teas, so I would have completely missed it. Well, that was a fortuitous find. But what about you, Stefan? Is there a way you get that thrill of discovery when you're online shopping that I'm just missing out on? Does all of that scrolling and searching and browsing somehow replace the thrill of a real-life discovery? I actually think it happens more than you would imagine. I find that search results on the grocery store websites I most regularly order from, uh, Waitrose and Tesco, return things that would never be put together in an actual bricks-and-mortar store. (laughs) A prime example is a candy I found last year, shrimps and bananas. (laughs) I had both shrimp and bananas in my online cart, and the checkout widget suggested I might like shrimps and bananas candy. Of Of course course I had to order it. (laughs) Side note, it was this bizarre puffy fruit candy that strangely but fortunately did not taste like shrimp. You sent me some. I I remember it. But I find this happens with other products that do make more sense, like tea or cereal or biscuits. And because I didn't know the names or types of many products when I first moved here, it was a great way to find things I never would have searched for because I didn't even know where to start looking. Oh, that's a good point, right? You don't know what you don't know. Exactly. Well, the other issue that I have with online delivery is a lack of trust. I imagine the person doing the shopping isn't as obsessive as I would be about checking the firmness of the avocado or picking the perfectly ripe banana. How have you gotten over that trust issue? Do you find that your grocers take just as much care with your selections as you would? I struggle the most with produce too, because I like to touch and see my fruit and veg in a way I don't care about with, say, a can of beans. Mm -hmm. I mostly rely on my large online order for dry goods, frozen foods, household supplies, and beverages. But I subscribe to a CSA, which delivers a box of high-quality, beautiful organic produce each week, And I walk down to my local butcher when I want meat. Interestingly, I do think one way grocers are getting around this whole trust issue and still building their online services is by allowing customers to shop for other customers. Have you seen this trend in London? I haven't. I first heard about it last summer. A friend of mine mentioned she was heading to Target for a grocery run, but it wasn't for her. It was for a stranger. Hmm. She was working for a service called Shipped. And it allows people to register as a personal shopper and make money doing shopping for others. Well, it sounds like the perfect job for you, Andrea. (laughs) I know. Unfortunately, the ship service is not available in my town yet, but I definitely was intrigued and I read up on it 
I noticed that many of the people using the service are housebound or disabled. Mm. They either can't or don't want to drive, or they have issues with things like eyesight or mobility. Mm -hmm. And having someone else do their shopping allows them to keep their independence and form new relationships. Because the shoppers even come into the house, they help you unpack your groceries and can put them away when they arrive at people's homes. And that's exactly like the grocery delivery services here. They come right in and most of them help you unload the order. Shipped sounds like they're taking this service model but using independent contractors. Listeners, if you've got experience with online grocery shopping, we want to hear about it. What are your tips, tricks, and lessons learned? Drop us an email at hosts at preheatedpodcast.com or leave us a post in our Facebook listeners group. Well, the timer's buzzed and we've got to get the sprinkles on top of this episode. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and next week we'll see if our homemade panna cotta was the grown-up custard we've been dreaming of. And in our final entry of That's Amore Month, we'll introduce a classic Italian cannoli made into a modern-day cake. We'll also wrap up our February book club with a discussion of risotto with nettles from Anna Del Conte. Listeners, if you'd like to get an email and a link to the full show notes every week when our episode is released, subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, preheatedpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at preheatedpod. If you like our show, please tell a friend and subscribe, and consider ranking and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our show. Until next time, I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Thanks for listening and sweet dreams. It is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions. (laughs) Good God, I need more coffee.